One of Connecticut's newest local leaders, Dan Cutter is no stranger to public service. He's been a state representative, served on the local board of finance, and now he is Bethel's first selectman after a special election held in February. Today in the Municipal Voice, we're going to talk to first selectman about his former role in the state legislature and adjusting to a new role right in the middle of budget season. We'd like to thank our sponsors at Gateway Community College and Houston Community College. The Municipal Voice is the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities podcast in collaboration with WNHH LP 103.5 FM. I'm your host, Matt Ford. As always, be sure to give us a like and let us know what you're thinking in the comments. CCM's Municipal Voice podcast continues to present a key forum on important state local issues. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect consensus views of CCM or member municipal leaders. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here, Matt. Good to have you. As we noted in the intro, uh, you're just a little over a month into your new job as Bethel's first selectman. So how are things going? It's going really well. It's been uh, it's been a really amazing opportunity. It's a little different for me than some because I wanted mm -hmm. a special election. Mm -hmm. So literally, you know, you win the election on a Tuesday and I was at my desk at 9.30 a.m. on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. So not much of a transition time. Had to get up and running real fast, but luckily for you, you're not entirely um, unfamiliar with local government. Um, you were serving on the Board of Finance uh, when you were elected as Bethel's uh, first selectman, and right now you're in the middle of municipal budget season. Did I, being I on the Board of Finance make it easier as opposed to taking over with no idea, or how how that work? Um, I think it made it a lot easier. In, in addition, I was a state legislator for six years, mm -hmm. so I think the, the fact that I had a little bit of background uh, working on state budgets on the Finance Revenue Bonding Committee years ago, mm -hmm. and then a year on the Board of Finance, becoming more intimately familiar with the Bethel budget, it yeah. certainly was helpful. What I found what I found very interesting about the process, though, for me, is that when I was on the Board of Finance, mm -hmm. it was a little bit different than being the person whose budget was being approved. Yeah. So I remember my predecessor, you know, when he was going to bat for certain things in the budget, uh, it was a different mentality the day I took the job. Mm -hmm. Now I'm actually fighting for a budget to get things done in the town and, and make sure we have the municipal employees taken care of. It was an yeah. interesting reversal. That was what struck me odd in the very yeah, beginning. Different, different positions have different, you know, parameters and priorities and, and what your, your, your goals are, definitely. Right, um, right. Report of finance, I think, you know, mm -hmm. you're looking at it from the perspective of uh, just the taxpayer, right? Mm -hmm. and you're, you're saying, okay, with the taxpayer, I want yeah. to get this budget as low as I possibly can. Which is your charge uh, in that position? Is that right, you're right. Now, that, yeah. now that I'm I'm actually the first selectman, it's I, I look at it from both sides mm -hmm. because now I I have a better lens into what we need done, you know, mm -hmm. in the town and from the municipal budgeting side. It's just a very interesting uh, switch. Yeah, so I said it's a switch from the board of finance, and you mentioned before that you know you've been the legislature before. Talking about public service as a broader topic, what drew you to the position of a town CEO? You know, it's interesting. Um, I think over the years, I saw what the town CEO did. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I grew up in a small town in, in the West and then was in the military for a long time. And I found my way to Bethel, uh, really in 2004. Mm -hmm. So as an adult coming into this town, um, you know, I saw how much happened in a town and how important it was for the local government to serve the people in town. Mm -hmm. I had gone in and I served in the legislature because I found it incredibly interesting, right? I, I was wired for public service. But as I dealt with the CEOs from various towns, not only the towns that I represented, mm -hmm. I represented Amberry, Bethel, Newtown, Reading, but also across the state, mm -hmm. I kind of developed a, a real interest in doing the job that someday mm -hmm. I would want to do it. And it was very similar to some of the operational jobs I had in the military. Mm -hmm. 
you know, so it looked at like not only as an interesting job, challenging job, but this job is where rubber meets the road, right? Yeah. To help your community, you're involved in so many different things. Uh, everything from, you know, the police departments, fire departments, mm-hmm. public safety, there's this, your effect on the schools and educating children. There's effect on the business community, mm-hmm. right? Trying to make your community better for business and, you know, bringing that tax revenue the yeah. right way. And then there's just the very um, fabric of the community itself. Like right now, some of our mm-hmm. challenges really involve the building, the development. So mm-hmm. it's a very diverse job. And yeah. I got to say, I come in every day and there's something a little bit different going on that, you know, while I know mm-hmm. it's part of the job, mm-hmm. it's what I do every day. It can be a little bit different, which is really exciting. So that's kind of how I found my way here. I've always been wired for service. And I got to yeah. say, you know, I, I think I'm, um, I think I'm seven weeks in on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not that I've got something, maybe eight weeks. I don't know. Any regrets so far? No, no, not, not one, not one. That's great. Uh, and, you know, I could I could see this being something like my predecessor here did a great job, Matt Knickerbocker. Mm-hmm. He was here for 13 years. Um, and I could see you getting to a point where some of the political stuff annoys annoys you. Because one thing I do I love about the job is mm-hmm. it's less political than Hartford or going up, you know, the, the higher up you go, the more political it becomes. Yeah. You know, working as a CEO of a small town, uh, you're really trying to take the politics out of as much as possible. And people yeah. want that that and it helps us do our job better so um for, for me no no regrets yeah. you know nothing nothing that i don't like about it so far as long yeah. as the politics stays out of it i'll be really happy <laughs> that's really cool you know all these different ways that people can serve and for you yeah. and you what you you personally enjoy and where you find the rewards it seems like going to the you know executive position being where you know you can actually make the things happen rather than you know legislating where you're thinking about what should happen or the laws you're I want to I want to be hands on and doing stuff. That's that's really great. So, what were your priorities in taking office? Right. So, a couple of things that were really important to me starting out, and, and things that I had learned over the last year, and especially in the in the campaign, mm-hmm. um, the development in town. I mentioned, as you know, yeah. a lot of controversy across Connecticut with respect to how towns are developed mm-hmm. and the 830G laws, the 830G yeah. statute. Um, I mean, most folks who probably look at your podcast know exactly what those are, but it's a real problem because, you know, a small community like ours, we have just under 20,000 people. Mm-hmm. We have a very quaint New England downtown. Yeah. And what's happening is we, we are one of the densest towns in the state already population wise mm-hmm. and with, with the ability for people to come in and just kind of ignore our zoning. It's mm-hmm. created a lot of challenges. Now, mm-hmm. the good side is Bethel has done very well with affordable housing. Yeah. Uh, building th- not, not only f- affordable housing but housing that's affordable right mm-hmm. we're still somewhat of an affordable town but the more the, the denser we get and the more buildings we put on top of each other mm-hmm. uh, becoming problematic for folks in town and they're really up in arms about it so that making mm-hmm. sure that we kind of wrestle this this issue down in a sense that we know um we have more control over our zoning mm-hmm. if that somehow um you know, we still want to be, make the town affordable through like accessory apartments and all these other things yeah. that we can do. And I think one of the things we've lobbied for too is that, that we'd love our town, well, in the state of Connecticut, mm-hmm. we'd love to find a way for towns like us to get more things included as affordable housing or deemed yeah. affordable housing. So those are things that are really important to our, our constituents, mm-hmm. right? That downtown feel, the charm of the town. But then the other thing is, which which is unique, uh, maybe not unique for us, is communication. Mm-hmm. You know, post-pandemic, 
uh, we, we were just talking about this kind of you know, before we started how we do a lot of things online now. Mm-hmm. There's still, I think, a disconnect. We have groups yeah. of people, kids in our community don't feel connected to the community. The mm-hmm. seniors don't feel connected to the community. And the people in the middle don't know what's happening in town. And that's become mm-hmm. a, a big issue for us. Yeah. So for me, what I've tried to do is I'm instituting a you know a little weekly newsletter kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We'll do uh, uh, we don't have a paper that just is our town. We have a couple of little publications, yeah, printed a couple online. Um, so there's not really a news outlet for people to know what's going on. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to things to encourage communication in town. Mm-hmm. And like how do residents uh, that weekly communication? How are you sending that? Is that social media? Is that on the town's website? How are you doing that? Well, we're doing a little bit of everything. I mean, we're mm-hmm. going to redo our website. Our, our website. Wouldn't, it wasn't that long ago that it was done, but it was. it's kind of clunky. There's mm-hmm. not a, real, a lot of access to information about what's happening for public hearings, things mm-hmm. like that. Big piece of what we have to do. Um, we need to do more pushing out of information. So like many communities, we're a town meeting form of government. So a town meeting form of government, basically the town itself, every person is a shareholder and mm-hmm. they actually elect, well, not only elect, they, they vote for all the referendums. So certain things, it's not just the, the Board of Selectmen or the Board of Finance. It actually goes mm-hmm. to the town for a vote. And what they find is referendums, nobody shows up. We had, mm-hmm. we had a $12 million referendum a while back for a new well in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we had 700 people out of 12,700 yeah. voters. So yeah. the reason it happens, I think, is we don't push out the information. I think mm-hmm. the local government, you know, we put it up on a website or we put it out somewhere. We don't push it out. Yeah. So, we're going to try actually use social media mm-hmm. to boost things from the town. It yeah. won't be won't be political, but you know when there's a referendum coming, it's mm-hmm. going to show up. On- um, mm-hmm. Down the line, we may even do some targeted, you know, OTT on mm-hmm. things like that. We're going to set aside some budget to do that mm-hmm. to get participation in what we do. And then the other part is making sure we're covering everybody. So that, mm-hmm. for instance, Senior Center has an incredible newsletter. Like the Bethel okay. Senior. I mean, it, it's hands down amazing, mm-hmm. all the programs they do, and I don't think a lot of people know, mm-hmm. but we're going to try to touch the seniors a little more so they understand what's happening in town. Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. I mean, that's really good stuff that you're working on there. Going back a little bit to the affordable housing, because it is a problem in Connecticut. There is, you know, overall in the state, a, a lack of affordable housing for people. And so it is something that, you know, towns are trying to address. And you mentioned... Um, a few strategies and options that you have for fulfilling the affordable housing stuff while maintaining local control. So can you t- uh, explain a little bit on some of those ideas that you had that, you know, how, how do we at- achieve this while maintaining local control? Right. Well, okay. So remember the, um, the, the whole, the, the beginning of 830G, I mean, finding, first off, let me say there's two kinds of housing, right? There's mm-hmm. affordable housing as deemed affordable by the state yeah. where people qualify based on your income level mm-hmm. and, you know, that's affordable housing. And then there's housing that's affordable. Yeah. And the, I, and I the, say the that. Death, the legally defined by the state. And then there's, version, yeah, because, and there's what we all understand. Yeah. Okay, because 830G, you know, that law, uh, the mm-hmm. statute 8-30G, you mm-hmm. know, came to being, what, early 90s. And the idea is that you would really make, um, give developers a little more power in community mm-hmm. to bring in affordable housing in case mm-hmm. the zoning folks there were, were blocking everything. I mean, that's what it is. It's strictly like a battle. So they yep. wanted to like negate local zoning so they can bring in more affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Now, the other kind of consequences is when you have a small town like ours where, mm-hmm. um, you know, we kind of rely on this downtown charm as really an asset for our businesses yep. and driving people in, things like that. Um, 
that's where the, the problem has become, right? Because now anybody can just come in and, mm -hmm. and say, oh, I'm going to put an 830G property in there. And now it negates local zoning all the way. Yeah. Even with our local zoning folks want to, you know, want to work together. We want you know, good affordable housing in the mm -hmm. town. So uh, when I, the, the big problem is that with the housing that's deemed affordable, right? It has to be deeded affordable for 40 mm -hmm. years. And it huh. usually has to be something that's built new. And when mm -hmm. I say new, that's 1995. So we have a couple of neighborhoods in this town, for instance, that mm -hmm. have these really charming homes. Mm -hmm. And those charming little homes would probably, when you look at the monthly cost for a mortgage or your rent, mm -hmm. would fall into the affordable category. Mm -hmm. Maybe last, you know, when yeah. you actually look at the numbers. The problem is we can't use it. We can't count that towards our affordability stock. Mm -hmm. And every town has to have 10%. That's mm -hmm. deemed a Bethel's done all right. We were 6.8 when, you know, mm -hmm. the, on the last round. We were 6.8%. Uh, so we're getting close to that 10% mark. Mm -hmm. But still, like we have all these homes. That would mm -hmm. be great. And by the way, we could do programs that encourage homeownership, mm -hmm. which to me would be far better uh, for our, our communities across the state. Mm -hmm. But currently those little houses don't meet the standard in the law. They don't meet the standard. They're, they're great little houses. It's a perfect place to you know get people involved in the community to move in, but they don't even count. So again, it goes back to finding ways to build large apartments, you know, the, the bigger uh, monstrosity mm -hmm. town, yeah. right? The numbers of people. We're already one of the more densely populated places, mm -hmm. right? And, and where it also affects us dramatically is the, the, the how fast we've been growing. Mm -hmm. been growing very quickly. In fact, I think since September, we've got maybe another 70 or 80 kids in the schools. Mm -hmm. And that also is kind of a problem because you know, we're, we're getting more kids very quickly in between yeah. budgets. Like, so we're trying to figure out how to, how to do that, mm -hmm. not to mention other services. It becomes really complicated. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that Bethel is known for, you may not know, is we have an incredible special education program to our schools. Mm -hmm. So Bethel is also a little bit of a target in, in that you know, people want to bring their kids here. Which because is a good of the good school. Yeah. We have a great program. In fact, we have a, we have a transition program for kids. You know, when they finish high school, we mm -hmm. keep them up until 22 years old to do life skills and things like that. And yeah. they actually, you know, we have a, a teen center where they spend the day right downtown. They can get life skills. Mm -hmm. and it's just an amazing town. So mm -hmm. by virtue of that, every time they, they build a, a huge apartment building, boom, everybody's here like right away. So we, yeah. we just want to like be able to say, all right, we want some smaller places for families. Mm -hmm. um, like if you can have accessory housing and things like that, that mm -hmm. would count for a G moratorium mm -hmm. or, or a G number. Um, some of these small houses in town, yeah, which are beautiful that bring families in, that would be a much better thing to manage our growth. Mm -hmm. we so it's not we don't want affordable housing, but maybe expand the definition of what can be exactly fulfill exactly. that need by just by being affordable, but not but necessarily right. I mean, all these other things yeah. that are written in there. But also, I mean, from the yeah. states, I understand the state's perspective. They want to make sure it's a good quality, it's not yes. affordable because it's run down. Like, yeah, it has to be maintained and that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. It needs to count in their in, in their definition in the sense that, yeah, they have a quality control aspect. They want to make sure that, you know. It needs to be inspected. The wiring needs to be up. Yeah. To, yeah. You don't want, you, you don't want um, people to be at the mercy of landlords so quickly. If, oh, I'm not going to be affordable or this. Or, like, mm -hmm. you do want something that, that continues that long term, mm -hmm. whatever that property is. I don't think it has to be 40 years, but yeah. that is the. What the state is asking for is not awful. It's just mm -hmm. the way it's been done has really affected small communities. Really, it needs to be fine-tuned. It, it sounds yeah. like in a lot of ways. Yeah. You are listening to the Municipal Voice on WNHH 103.5 FM.
And you also mentioned the the influx of people. Is that been kind of an ongoing thing in Bethel, or did that accelerate with the pandemic, where we saw a lot of people from like New York and the cities kind of moving across the border because they can now telecommute more? Yes and yes. <laughs> um, a little bit of both. Yes and yes. Yeah, yeah. Bethel's been, I think, growing steadily for some period of time. You mm -hmm. know, it's a really great little town. Um, mm -hmm. Again, New England charm, really good community. You know, it, it's interesting because I I always call I always call it a little bit landlocked, mm -hmm. meaning. It's kind of hard to get. There's no direct road into Bethel. Like yeah. you have to come down Main Street in Danbury, or mm -hmm. you got to come back roads from 84, yeah. or you come up you know, Route 58 through Fairfield County. Mm -hmm. It's not like Bethel has a major thoroughfare that are going right through it. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. people have come here for years for that, and we've grown steadily. But to your point, I think during the pandemic we saw so many people, you know, do the exodus from New York, come mm -hmm. over and buy Connecticut properties, uh, set up shop here, work from home. That has mm -hmm. definitely been uh, an effect in Bethel. I mean, yeah. ton of New Yorkers have come come in, and, and you know, everybody's kind of redesigned their lives now on how mm -hmm. they work and commute. Yeah, it's been pretty interesting to see, especially on the western half of the state, where it's you know it's so close that it makes it an easy option yeah. for a lot of the New Yorkers. Well, for even my own my, my wife, it was a little bit different for her because mm -hmm. my wife worked in Manhattan and mm -hmm. was in Manhattan every day. So now she does almost all her work from home mm -hmm. and comes into the city one or two days a week. Yeah. So I got to assume there are a lot of other companies who are still trying to figure out, you mm -hmm. know, what they do. So, um, yeah, it's been an interesting change, I think. In yeah. And so the people like who are already here and commuting in, now they're here right. and maybe they're buying lunch in Bethel instead of in Manhattan or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. here's hoping because yeah. I mean, the restaurants still, I think they hurt at lunchtime. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, get the, the problem sometimes with the way we develop, there's mm -hmm. not an eye towards, um, you know, bringing in maybe corporate business. You know, little mm -hmm. office things like that. Mm -hmm. In fact, we have um, what what dovetails into this. We have a TOD, a transit oriented district. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. So TOD has been a hot thing for many years, where you know, you're going to build residential business together, and you know, folks you're expecting to use the train, go to mm -hmm. Manhattan, all that. Metro well, North Station, right in the, the heart of Bethel, right? Right, heart of Bethel. Yeah. We we literally have a like an industrial zone right around a train station. Mm -hmm. That's all that we redeveloped, redeveloped, and we have homes near the train station. And right on in Manhattan. Yeah, to go to Manhattan. But now commuting patterns have changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people were in Manhattan. A lot of our TOD was based on the idea that they were going to make the train line better. And for mm -hmm. many many years, they were talking about more service. Mm -hmm. uh, electrifying the service on the Danbury rail line, all these mm -hmm. great things. They've never happened. Mm -hmm. So what we find ourselves in is we've done all this work to make a TOD, but we're missing the D. <laughs> we're, or, I'm sorry, no. no missing, <laughs> yeah, we're missing a T backwards, sorry. Uh, it's Monday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I know we're going to do this on Wednesday, but it's a Monday. So anyway, um, it's one of these things now that we've got this TOD development mm -hmm. around train station, but the commuting patterns have changed, I think, dramatically. We don't know what mm -hmm. we're going to do. And I don't know if they'll ever really fix up the Danbury train line. Yeah. So that's another big, a big switchover for a town like Bethel because we, mm -hmm. we're building based on this idea and this concept that that's the way it would be. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm hoping that maybe we get more offices in town. Maybe we get more people who will come here for lunch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'd like to see our restaurants do a little bit better in the day. That'd be very cool. Um, so we, we've talked about, you know, keeping Bethel affordable as being kind of a priority. Um, and it requires a multifaceted approach. So let's talk about a few of them. What does responsible budgeting mean to you and to the citizens of Bethel? Well, you know, for the citizens of Bethel, the, the lower the better, the better, right? I think yeah. 
Now it's interesting. Um, when you when you talk to somebody in municipality at your local mm -hmm. town, most of them will say, "Listen, we're we're fine with paying taxes. We're fine mm -hmm. with you know, making our like having good schools." Mm -hmm. You know, some people will say you'll get the most conservative Republican, you know, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. really conservative fiscal person, right? And when it comes to the schools, they're like, I'll be I'll pay anything for the schools. But yeah. they just want to know that their money is going to something important. I mm -hmm. think at the municipal level. They don't they want to make sure the community's not taking more than it needs, mm -hmm. uh, that we're keeping, you know, their fiscal world in, in, in our minds when we're doing things and trying mm -hmm. to make it as small as possible. So from the municipal side, you know, we have to be really um I would say reasonable mm -hmm. in what I think we can do and do sometimes just do more with less. Mm -hmm. You know, this year was is a great example. I just came in and you know, some of my departments wanted a couple extra people. Mm -hmm. And being the new guy on the job, I knew um I needed to see you know really what I could do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You'll make like, promises before you you know if you can do right, it. Right. I'm not, I, it's hard to come in. I literally arrived the day the budget started. Oof. So and we had people wanting more bodies to do things. So it was a really interesting position mm -hmm. because you, know, you want to trust your folks. They know, you know, they know what they need. So I tried really hard to, uh, in a couple of instances, instead of asking for somebody right away, I mm -hmm. said, well, can we have them later in the year? Let's cut their, let's cut that position in half. Right. Mm -hmm. Hire them now. Give me, give me six months or so to figure out what we really need. And then mm -hmm. we can, put it, you know, in the January budget kind of thing. Yeah. So you know, those are just ideas that I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I want to make sure that we're, we're using the money responsibly. We're not just asking for stuff we don't need. Mm -hmm. And believe me, from a from our perspective, or from a town administrator, town manager perspective, you know, the CEO, mm -hmm. I want to do as much as I can, little as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, every dollar that we get has to be spent wisely. Yeah. So I, I think that's what's really important to people that they know that we have that in the back of our mind. You know, mm -hmm. and then there are priorities, like you said, the schools, the roads. Mm -hmm. Roads are huge priority in fact this year i think it's one of the first years we've had a fully funded road budget yeah. um our predecessor was trying to get to a million dollars that that's really what would keep our roads healthy for yeah. a period of time um we need a little more to catch up but mm -hmm. i got that much for, for the town so we're going to be doing a lot to, yeah uh, did you end up with anything left over because of the lack of snow or anything yeah that's a yeah. Yeah. look at you you must be talking to other towns <laughs> must <Sweet>. be <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I don't know how much it'll be in the end because we had a couple. Yeah, of, and it's not uh, a huge amount, but we know we, we had a lot of snow budgets largely went untouched, and so people are trying to yeah. you know take so, that little bit they got left over and turn to something else useful. Yeah, what we did is we so when the um, when the town came with us, or I should say the highway department came for mm -hmm. the budget. Originally, they wanted about one point one million. It was just about one hundred twenty eight thousand mm -hmm. dollars more than a million. Mm -hmm. um, that's about two roads. You know, it's about fifty sixty thousand dollars per road is really mm -hmm. how you think of it in town um so they cut them they cut that part out hoping that we would have some salt and savings budget around 130 grand okay and, and i think we're going to be on track for part of that um mm -hmm. it's hard to say yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, really it's hard looking to good yeah yeah but it's looking good which means that's that's two more roads and that actually can get us in a place where we're a little bit caught up yeah, that's very cool. Uh, yeah. Another aspect of the economy in town, of course, is uh, businesses. Mm -hmm. What sort of businesses would you like to see come to Bethel? I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not so much in like picking winners and losers of businesses per se. What I really would like to see is, uh, I would say, develop our industrial zone to mm -hmm. a little more like business. So we have mm -hmm. we have an industrial park in town, which is unique, mm -hmm. um, and we have about four lots available there. Mm -hmm. Big lots for, for more 
I say significant manufacturing. Yeah. Right? So something that's already set aside for that purpose that's just exactly. waiting for the right company. Yeah. Exactly. So, but downtown, we have this industrial zone. It's zoned industrial. Mm -hmm. And so, so one of the things I've been trying to talk about publicly is when we consider how we develop that, let's have an eye on maybe creating the reverse commute to Bethel. Mm -hmm. Remember, right? I don't think, you know, people living here in the way that commuting patterns have changed, maybe if we have small light manufacturing to the scale of our town mm -hmm. or tech, like a tech park, mm -hmm. maybe we can attract people to come here by train. Yeah. Think about it, you know, Stanford, Norwalk, uh, you know, along the coast, up mm -hmm. from the Milford, out, like we could actually create a place where there's a little bit of a reverse commute. So that also, being selfish, it brings mm -hmm. more tax per acre. Yep. <laughs> you know, if you have businesses like that, who thrive and do well, then, you know, they come, they come here to do lunch. They have things in town. You get people who see Bethel and want to move here. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but you also have this, this vibrant economy going on right in the middle of your town. So mm -hmm. that would be something that I would hope to see. And then on the Northern part of our town, along route six, uh, we have an area called Stony Hill. Mm -hmm. And up there that we have, we have a couple of, well, we have Target. So our only like box store in Bethel. Yeah. But we have room to put in some more offices and things like that. So I love to see, you know, doctors, corporate, mm -hmm. those folks. It's great access to the highway. Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, that area is really, really ripe for that kind of development. Yeah. Good areas that are already set up for that kind of responsible development. Yeah. It's uh, good stuff to have. Um, so in addition to being in the middle of town budgets and stuff, we're also in the middle of state budgeting process now. And uh, one of CCM's kind of main priorities is local education. We see it as kind of you know, the backbone of society, getting a good public education. Let's talk briefly about education, and then we can kind of get more specifically into special education, which you worked on a lot as a state rep. How important is good local education to you? Well, not an easy question, because there's a lot of pieces and parts to that question. <laughs> and as you can tell, my, Matt, I'm a talker. Um, so, so it's important for a couple of reasons. Obviously, there's the, uh, the moral responsibility of a town, I mm -hmm. think. As a community, I think we owe it to our kids to give them a good education and a good yeah. foundation to launch them off into the world. And that comes with many, many benefits, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, big benefit is for the local community, people who are not necessarily paying into education per se or, or have mm -hmm. kids in the school, their property values are going to go up. You know, mm -hmm. Bethel, Bethel becomes a place that's in high demand right now. It yeah. still is. <laughs> and you can see that in our local assessments. You know, we had an assessment year. A lot of the properties went up. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a real benefit there when you have good local education. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the other, the other part of it, too, is um, I used to joke as a state rep, like politically, that I want Connecticut to be a place where my kids could get a good education, get a good job, and not live with me. <laughs> <laughs> right? But they could yep. be here, not live with me. So that's another part of it too, because I think um, if you create a community that has those, that, that education and it has a strong connection as a community, a foundation, mm -hmm. then you get people who want to come back and participate. Yeah. You, you, and by the way, I'm, I'm not from Bethel, Connecticut. I, I mm -hmm. chose, here. but you also get people who were born and raised here or mm -hmm. want to bring back here, bring families. And that, and that's very strong for the community. Yeah. Because that helps everybody helps businesses, helps the community. Um, that's so those are just some of the best benefits of a good local education. Mm -hmm. One thing that CCM is always big on, and we're calling uh, for increased funding of programs and accelerating the phase in of uh, education cost sharing, ECS. Yes. Um, would Bethel benefit from this phase in? And what could teachers in your town do with extra money for special programs? Well, the, 
there's a I don't know if it's so much we're getting extra money. You know, it's it's money we need. It's yeah. that, that that's money, the hard... money we were largely promised too. Is the other thing. Yeah, it is. But you know, now right now we're in a good spot in the sense that we have um we have great folks, you know, in our school system who mm -hmm. I think manage budgets well. Uh we haven't had significant cuts in programs, things like that. Like we're we're doing well. I mean, we pay, obviously, mm -hmm. our community significant education budget. But the ECS is so important because and we're gonna get a little more this year. That's good. Because we we're one of the growing towns. So we are mm -hmm. growing. We are going to get a little bit more, but it's it's not enough. Mm -hmm. And I, it's hard to say would they do more with extra because um, I think I think where we would benefit is if we could reduce our class sizes a little bit. Mm -hmm. That that would be something that would be tremendous. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, right now in the last couple of years because of the pandemic, the 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 other money or the extra money or whatever we get has mm -hmm. gone been seem to go have gone to like remediate for the pandemic. So yeah. you know, hiring math tutors, uh, extra paraprofessionals, you know, for kids who are having a, a struggle, mm -hmm. that has been where what the extra money would mm -hmm. have been, right? Yeah. We brought on a yeah, when we had um when our, our school had some ARPA funds, uh they brought on some of those folks. And then through mm -hmm. budgeting this year, we were able to keep them. Mm -hmm. So if if you want to think about what they're doing extra right now, it's it's mitigating for what happened in the pandemic yeah. still. So you're already would, doing extra, yeah. Right, right. I would love to see, yeah, I would love to see the schools free to do more um, advanced classes or more some, mm -hmm. you know, like that. Um, they they also do some great things with uh, pathway programs, mm -hmm. like they're working on manufacturers pathway program for the kids. Oh, that's very uh, cool. One for EMTs, mm -hmm. EMT while you're in school, mm -hmm. and then go out and maybe participate in emergency medicine. And I know they're working on one for um, certified nursing assistants, yeah. uh, pairing up with RVA Health in Ridgefield. So mm -hmm. those kinds of programs too can be very helpful because if we have a you know an 80% graduation rate and mm -hmm. kids are going to college and, and we're a good school, well, the other 20% we owe something to as well. Yeah. Those could be other ways that they might deem. Um, yeah, those are jobs and skills that you need in your community. Definitely. Yeah. EMTs, like those are all important people that you, yeah. you need around. In your time as a state representative, you served on the governor's special education advisory council. Tell us about that experience and can you explain to the kind of the average home viewer common issues that arise with special education funding? Sure, sure. Well, the uh, from the experience perspective, it was really interesting because um, it just sounded something I wanted to get involved, like I want to get involved in. Mm -hmm. And I think what was fun about it for me was I really had a direct connection with parents mm -hmm. who kids in special education programs. Um, but at the level where they were they were working with the governor and, and the state mm -hmm. to try to make those programs better, uh, to oversee them, to do exactly what you just said, maybe mm -hmm. give give the folks in the legislature an idea of what it was all about. Yeah. Because sometimes sometimes it's hard to connect with what the special education programs always are. Like we hear mm -hmm. about it, but we're we're not boots on the ground to see what happens. And mm -hmm. And one of the best examples I can give you is I think I mentioned very earlier, we have this task program. It's a it's a transition program for for kids in the school who are special needs. Mm -hmm. And before they go out, we keep them till 22. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of effort, a lot of money to keep those kids engaged mm -hmm. and help keep them the life skills that they need. Right. Yeah. So going through school, because while there's all these kids have been you know, mainstreamed, mm -hmm. which is um, they need those other things. They need they need the paraprofessionals. They need uh, you know extra help through the yeah. program. And what happens is, like in our transition program, 
you know, we've got this group of kids who are out there doing life skills. Um, you know, some of them are getting jobs in town. We, uh, my, one of my favorite things being the first electman is mm -hmm. every Thursday at 10 o'clock, the kids come around with a coffee cart. Nice. And it's their opportunity to, I, I, I almost sell, like sell something. They take the money. They, mm. they, they learn a life skill, right? They yeah. a little business go around and they do this. And they're just small, small pieces of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Again, the foundation of this is to keep those kids engaged and mm -hmm. help. And I'll, I'll share real quickly um, a success story. Mm -hmm. One of the kids just graduated from the program has come through Bethel schools. And um, I guess it was, I guess it was a high functioning autism may, may have been what he had, but yeah, when he got into the program, nobody could touch him. You couldn't, you know, th there was a problem. Noise was a problem. Mm -hmm. And upon graduation, I'm standing there talking to his uh, grandmother who had flown up from Carolinas. And I was watching Mr. Toetti, our high school principal, mm -hmm. with his hand on his shoulder and talking about you know, how far he's come and how good he is. And, and I watched him give him a hug. Now, that mm -hmm. would not have been possible without the program that mm -hmm. these kids along with being educated, right? So I think we have to understand that it's, you know, from a community's perspective, Somebody's got to take care of these kids. If we were going to outplace them, you know, mm -hmm. it would be, I don't know, $250,000 plus a year, yeah. not to mention transportation. You know, it's a millions and millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And now we can keep them in our community, make sure they get the education they need, um, and also make sure that they're tied into the community in a way that makes it very viable for all of us to have them here. Mm -hmm. Then to your point, it's the funding. Yeah. You know, the funding is the issue. Um, the, 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 I would want people to understand when they look at these school budgets, we do not get the special education funding that we're promised from the state. And every community wrestles with this, no matter how to go to mm -hmm. the program. You know, the state always shortchanges us yeah. on what we're supposed to get. And for smaller towns such as Bethel or even smaller towns in Connecticut, a single special education student can greatly affect the the, the education oh. budget for the town because it's, it's a large expense, yeah. Yes, yeah. If it, if it wasn't for this transition program, I think right now we have 11 kids. Mm -hmm. Imagine having all or even just half of those outplaced and, you know, the, the, the amount of money we'd have to spend for the transportation mm -hmm. and the education for the kids is enormous, enormous. So it's, it's expensive when we keep them here too. But, you know, that's why the, the education funding coming to us is so important because we get shortchanged dramatically that imagine if we had to turn around and try to outsource. Yeah. I mean, it really does. It really is a big part of our budget when we're talking to people in the community. It's a big part of our budget. Yeah. Do you see any possible solutions from the state to, to help that situation out? You know, it's it's politics. I don't, mm -hmm. you know, it's easy for me to say, well, I've been there. I mean, I, yeah. I do know where I would spend money differently. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, there, I think we get a lot of pet projects up there in Hartford that people mm -hmm. want. Everybody's, everybody's project or what they fund is probably good. Mm -hmm. But at some point, I think we have to sit down and, and look at some of these and say, yeah, we're mm -hmm. going to prioritize a little better. Instead of just putting it all in the taxpayer of the smaller community, yeah, you know, we should we should get some help from the state, especially a town like Bethel, where we've got mm -hmm. an export program, people are coming here for the program. Mm -hmm. We become a little more disadvantaged, I think. Yeah. So if we just got that if somehow the money followed the, the kid across the state, you know, that would be in itself would mm -hmm. be a tremendous opportunity for all the kids. The yeah, because because then it, it, someone coming into town would be not a financial burden and Great. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think, and, and it would, it would be the same anyway. 
yeah. right? I mean, and, and we'd probably have better programs that every town could benefit from what we benefit from. Yeah, and no town, that. We, we don't want to help out special education students and give them the proper education. It's these are big financial obligations to a small town. And, you know, and, and by and large, I, I feel like the people in town understand it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always a group who's like, you know, what the hell are we spending it on? And because they're not they're not um, they're not intimately familiar or in front of it every day. Mm -hmm. You know, when I think I think when they meet some of those kids and they understand what's going on or, or what we're trying to do, they realize we're trying to save as much money as possible. Mm -hmm. but, but at the Bethel level, you know, we we're relying on what's happening over at the state. And if they're not giving us the funding, we're just doing the best we can. You are listening to the Municipal Voice on WNHH 103.5 FM. From your experience as a business owner, state rep, local official, how important is it to have stability in budgeting? Very. <laughs> um, you, you know, it's interesting. So my being a small business, it was easy. You know, I was yeah. um, I was basically recruiting and doing sales management training, some things mm -hmm. like that. And I've, you know, I've pretty much shut the doors on on that now that I'm mm -hmm. doing this, at least for now. Okay. But to your point, the, the stability is important because you know you there's never a good time to raise your budget, mm -hmm. right? In a municipality, you have to ask for exactly what you need at the moment, right? Because we can't, because if, if we're not, if we're not doing what we can to predict, we want to look long-term on what we're doing, but we've got to ask for just what we need. Mm -hmm. But if we see things long-term, we want to keep it stable in the sense that you don't want next year to all of a sudden, you know, come off a fiscal cliff, whether it's spending yeah. or your debt service or, you know, a hundred different things that can happen to you. You want to keep that as stable as you can for the community. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, I was scared to death walking into this budget this year because I saw the schools were coming in at 6.37%. Mm -hmm. I, I saw what the town was looking for in the beginning. And I'm like, oh my God, on top of an assessment, we just had an assessment, which means, you know, probably, I don't know, maybe 30% of our community, maybe 40% mm -hmm. have a big tax increase already. Yeah. because of the leveling of it. So I was really, really worried coming in this year because it would not have looked like a, a stable budget. Mm -hmm. Now, as it is, the schools are amazing and our superintendent found some incredible healthcare savings. Um, I worked with the Board of Finance to cut some things out, like I mentioned, mm -hmm. some of the bodies we needed. We're going to be down at a 3.89 okay. when it goes to vote, which is, which is, which is good. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, we're looking at we're looking at our budget. We're looking at long term to make sure we don't get these fiscal cliffs or you know highs and lows mm -hmm. over time. But still manage to ask for what we need at the moment. That that yeah. our residents know we're not padding the budget. We're not you know saving. We're not doing something to like build up for the rainy day. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's what's happened in the state. You know, we've had these surpluses. You know, as the governor said, you know, he used it to buy down some pensions and things that those are all good things. But mm -hmm. we also need to make sure we're not overtaxing people. Yeah. <laughs> right. At any given time. So it's a whole other ballgame. Well, yeah, it's a balancing act. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so we are in the middle of the legislative session up in Hartford and our advocacy team is up there hard at work as usual. If you could tell the state legislature just one other priority to work on it in the coming year, what would it be and why? <laughs> uh, well, we've already talked about two of them. We uh, have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, for me, it's the um, affordable housing issue. Mm -hmm. You know, I know, I know there's a couple of bills up there where they're looking at finding ways. I, I tried to put this in back in 2015. Mm -hmm. and I want to find some other options that we can deem towards our affordable housing numbers. Like we need mm -hmm. to grow those numbers. We all need to you know, create affordable housing 
all good. But I want to see that bill go through where, you know, accessory housing and some things like that can count towards that number. Mm -hmm. um, possibly enrolled in, into that is the TOD. You know, they're yeah. doing TOD legislation right now. Um, I'm particularly scared mm -hmm. about it because what they're, what they're doing is they're hijacking the TOD concept mm -hmm. for affordable housing, you know, as mm -hmm. of right, where they can just come in and do whatever they want without even talking to zoning almost. Yeah. It's insane to me. It's insane. Mm -hmm. I think anybody who, who pushes that thing should be, you know, voted out of office in a heartbeat. It's mm -hmm. awful for, for a lot of communities. I, I'd much rather see us work together and create something that works for everybody. Mm -hmm. So those, and then the other one, special education, you know, if we can, yeah. if we can find a way to uh, get more funding that follows the kids, mm -hmm. you know, wherever they state, I think that would be a uh, moral obligation of the legislature. They should do that. It would help yeah. out towns across the, the state. So those are the things I, Th those I would be the, the big ones in, in your mind for this year. I also want to talk a little bit about public service. You know, you were in the military, you've been in the state legislature. Now you're first elected and clearly you have a calling to public service. Why is it important to you and why is it important to everybody? Why, why should public service be important to everybody? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, public service is important in the sense that every, I, it, it's hard to say it's important to everybody. I think it should be important for people to recognize that those in public service are doing for the right reasons and they're doing it for them. Not every person is wired for public service. It's just, they're just not wired that mm -hmm. way. I don't understand. My wife, my wife's one of the best people on the planet. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, she, and she loves participating in certain things mm -hmm. in charities. She's not wired for public service. Mm -hmm. I am. I, I, I've never understood that about myself, why it's, why it's important because yeah. I, it's important to me because I live here and I know that if I push forward and I do these things, it matters to me and how I feel about my community. Mm -hmm. And it's the people like me who make these communities work. It's the people who stand. You remember, uh, was it Roosevelt, the, the man in the arena, mm -hmm. right? It, you know, there are plenty of people who can sit back and criticize. Yeah. And they can say, you know, how the strong man stumbles and they can sit there and laugh at you on social media. But there's a certain group of people who stand up every day who mm -hmm. want to come do this and they know they're going to get their you know, tail kicked. Yeah. for whatever they said that day but they're, they're just really driven to dare greatly and they're really driven to do this based on wanting to help their community so when i say when public service is important i would say yeah it's all of us should participate in our community we're mm -hmm. in new england we have the most participatory governments around supposedly yeah. but people do become a little apathetic they get involved in the real world and i think they miss the benefit of participating you know mm -hmm. that, that you come and you get involved in earth day coming up and do mm -hmm. something Feel good about that it's good for the community it brings people together and i think you feel good walking away yeah not everybody's wired for it so for those yeah. folks i hope they would support public service and yeah. support for the people that, like you who are wired like that uh what advice would you give to them can you know concerning pursuing like how, how should yeah. they how, how, how do you get into it what, what should they do well jump in the water's warm <laughs> yeah no you know it's uh well first off the most important thing is you know talk to your local first selectman and if you're in mm -hmm. bethel I've, I've talked to people if, you, if there's something you want to get involved in, mm -hmm. make sure you let people know you want to be involved. Mm -hmm. I would say from a community's perspective, we should, we should look like from, from my perspective, I want to look for small things for people to do. Mm -hmm. Like not every person is going to run for the board of education or not every person is yeah. going to you know, take on the president of an organization. But I have something, we have a, a, a commission called Sustainable Bethel. Mm -hmm. Sustainable Bethel is tied into Sustainable Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And I have opportunities there for people to come in and, do little jobs. Yeah, so you don't necessarily have to want to be the first selectman to go into public service. You can right. say, I want to help with sustainability in my town. 
exactly board or commission that you might want to right yeah. yeah and it's also it's also really incumbent upon you know the first selectmen or mayors or leaders or economic mm -hmm. development community communities to find out you know things for people to do because there are a lot mm -hmm. of people who want to help yeah but oftentimes because the way government is structured it's hard to find you know places to plug them in mm -hmm. if that um, and the other part of this look look for organizations that people like you know i yeah. would say you know there are a ton of organizations where uh you know here we have um scotty fund is really big helping families mm -hmm. you know, medical needs we've got two food pantries one of which is mm -hmm. brotherhood Natch. you know they, they get people involved we have a ymca um, we have we have all these different groups yeah right there's the library for crying out loud the library mm -hmm. in our town does a ton of community programs mm -hmm. um, that people may not even know about so i guess you know find those organizations in your town and kind of get plugged into doing something there yeah. And then I think what that, that service is equally as important as running for the Board of Ed mm -hmm. or being on the Board of Finance, um, something that might appear to take more time commitment. Yeah. Um, and I also say, you know, if there's something like you love doing, mm -hmm. have a passion for, if you're mm -hmm. a financial person and you really love it, you love numbers, then yeah, de definitely think about running for your Board of Finance. Yeah. So, like there's, there's things out there for everyone's sort of skills oh, that they can yeah. use those skills to benefit their their community. I mean, think about it. You know, the town of Bethel is just, we're a small town. We have just under 20,000 people. Mm -hmm. uh, we're a $90 million enterprise, mm -hmm. you know, just the town. Yeah. So now you have all of these different organizations that are out there who are helping support us. There's plenty of opportunities for folks to get a little piece of what feels good about supporting your community. Because mm -hmm. it does feel good. Like when you get to do something, you were part of something, I, I would say even the people who aren't wired for public service, I think yeah. it feels good. I like it. Yeah, it, it may be tough sometimes, but ultimately it's rewarding. Oh, very much so. What, what what's happened is, um, yes, I've gotten older. I thought a little more about my my rewards. Mm -hmm. So what I'll tell people about finding jobs or what you want to do in life, think of three things. Number one, find out what you're very best at, and you might have a little bit of a passion for. It, so it's in you. Mm -hmm. Figure out like, you know, where you can do that in a sense that. Um, you're best at it and you're leveraging it for something like that's your passion. Yeah. And then you, you figure out the reward. So the reward is not always money. It's really yeah. not. This job does not pay. I make far more than this on the outside, but what rewards me about this is this certain sense of accomplishment that I get because you're going out and doing something in the community and having mm -hmm. a chance to impact somebody and you know, you know, you've done something to make their life better. Um, or for me, a lot of times people won't make decisions and, and government becomes bureaucracy. I like to get things done. I like yeah. to just jump in and make feel like I made something happen. Those are rewards for me inside. Yeah. So whatever that reward is for you, whether it's money, whether it's recognition, mm -hmm. like they feel bad about being recognized. You wouldn't mm -hmm. be recognized. Go get recognized. You know? So I yeah. say think about those three things when you go look for something to do, even a community service. It'll yeah. never steer you wrong. Finally, in closing, you know, as a newly elected official, you, you went for this position. So you must have some kind of optimism about the future of, of Bethel. Otherwise, you wouldn't have run for it. Are you, in fact, optimistic about the future of Bethel and the state of Connecticut? I, I am, actually. You know, listen, we, we spent a lot of time, you know, complaining about it. And there's some, mm -hmm. a lot of things I want to change, obviously. I think Connecticut itself is way too extensive, mm -hmm. right? I, <laughs> it's just crazy, but I love the state. You know, yeah. I chose to be here. It's, it's just one of the most beautiful places in the country. I love the seasons. Um, it reminds me a lot of uh, Michigan, kind of where I spent my summers mm -hmm. in some respects. So uh, I love the, the, the quaintness of the town, the, 
we really have a remarkable place in, in all you know facets except the cost mm -hmm. of living, and that stuff drives me absolutely crazy but you know people say we pay for it so i'd love to see yeah. that change i'm optimistic over time it will mm -hmm. i'm optimistic now as for bethel you know bethel has a strong history i mean it's it's a really unique little town i mean think about it we're on the edge of danbury very blue collar mm -hmm. And on the edge of Reading, Connecticut, very like bedroom community affluent mm -hmm. in New York, right? Bethel has a really interesting vibe and it's yeah. very special. And I think, you know, if we can keep that and keep this place as somewhere that's vibrant, that has, you know, we have great restaurants, we have great community events. If we can hold on to that, yeah, I have a lot of optimism for the town of Bethel, you know, into the next hundred years. You know, it's just, uh, you know, hopefully I'll have my little teeny piece of part of it yeah. and helping it get better and, that's all you want, but I am optimistic about the town. Well, great. Well, Dan Carter, congratulations on being the first selectman of Bethel. It seems like you're enthusiastic about the job, and I wish you the best of luck. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I love the job. I love the community. Uh, but I think anybody who runs for this does. You know, just hopefully I can do a really good job for the you know the folks who put me here. And I want to say thank you again. You know, for you and CCM allowing us to have this municipal voice. You know, we we may not get heard out here sometimes, but it's important we all stick together. We'd like to thank our guest, First Selectman Dan Carter. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Gateway Community College and Housatonic Community College. Learn more at gatewayct.edu and housatonic.edu. The Municipal Voice is a co-production by CCM and WNHH 103.5 FM. Kevin Maloney is our executive producer. Christopher Gilton is our producer. Harry Draws on the board. And I'm Matt Ford, your host. Be sure to check out our Facebook page and give us a like. And watch out for our CCM chat series on our YouTube page.